Good morning, everyone. It is good to see you this morning. I want to invite you to please get out your Bible and make your way over into the Gospel of John this morning to John, the 15th chapter. Make your way to John chapter 15. We're going to kind of make that the base of our operation this morning. We're going to be looking at a lot of John chapter 15. So go ahead and just get yourself there. Get ready to study this morning as you turn to John, the 15th chapter. Let me just say a couple of preliminary things. Let me first say it's certainly good to be home uh, after doing a gospel meeting more to the south here in Arizona in Marana. with a wonderful church uh, last week there doing a gospel meeting. Wonderful brethren enjoyed a great time of fellowship and studying the gospel and certainly, certainly was blessed by that. But I am very thankful to be back with our Monta Vista family today. Also want to remind you of what's going to be taking place in less than a week. And that is we're going to be having a gospel meeting, a gospel meeting about spiritual growth that starts on Friday at seven o'clock. It's going to be Friday, seven o'clock, Saturday, seven o'clock, and then Sunday at the regular worship hours. Brother Mark Roberts is going to be with us. And Mark Roberts is one of my favorite preachers. When I realized he was on the schedule when I moved here, I was so excited about that. Mark Roberts has helped me so much in the ministry. I just love how he preaches. I just love how he thinks he's going to bless us. I promise you he's going to do first class work when he comes. And I'm excited about Mark being here. Me, Mark and I were texting a few days ago. He told me he, he almost decided not to come. He's going to change his mind and not come. And I said, Mark, why won't you come? He said, he's a Texas Rangers fan. And he didn't know if it was safe to come. <laughs> so I told him, no, it's safe. You can come. I said, Jesus can bring anybody together, even bring <laughs> Rangers and Diamondbacks together. So you'll see the unity of Christ and the love of God with Mark here as a Rangers fan. But he'll be here Friday, starts Friday at 7. And I'm very, very excited about that gospel meeting that's going to be designed to help us be ready, set, and ready to grow in the Lord. I'm going to John, the 15th chapter. We're going to start with verse number one. In John 15 and verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it will bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear, bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be made full in you and that your joy may be made full. Have you ever been to Appleton, Wisconsin before? Appleton, Wisconsin, is actually the sixth largest city in Wisconsin. It is about 30 miles 
southwest of Green Bay, and it is the home of Lawrence University. Lawrence University is a small school of about 1,500 people, and it made national headlines back in the fall of 2022 because 52% of its student body signed up for one course, and it's called a do-nothing course. You're reading that correctly. For an entire semester, for an entire semester, students at Lawrence University could sign up for a class where they literally didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to read. They didn't have to listen, study, do homework, or prepare for tests. All they had to do was just show up, sit down, meditate a little bit, and get college credit. It was literally a do-nothing class. And for all of our young people here this morning, how would you like to be in a class like that? You like a class like that? How would you like to go to a university where you could sign up and do absolutely nothing and get college credit? As a parent, I'm going to tell you something. If, my, if I found out my kids <laughs> signed up for a class like this, I'd be pretty upset. Be pretty mad. Be pretty disturbed that I'm paying, using my hard-earned money, to pay for a do-nothing class. I mean, what kind of value does a class like that offer? How does a class like that help prepare young people? To go out into the real world, how does it prepare them with the knowledge and the skills they're going to need to perform well one day on a real job? I'm amazed, amazed that any university in this country would offer a do-nothing class. But here's my question right now. My question is, what about the kingdom of God? What about New Testament Christianity? What about the church that belongs to Jesus Christ? When it comes to the church that belongs to Jesus Christ, is that intended to be like this? Is that intended to be something that the Lord wants us to be part of? He wants us to sign up for that, but, but we don't have to do anything. We can be lazy and indifferent. We can be satisfied with just filling a pew and attending a few worship assemblies throughout the month. We don't have to be involved and active and serving and participating in works that bring glory to God. Is that how Jesus wants us to view being part of his church? Well, not according to what we just read here in John chapter 15. Going back to John chapter 15, these verses that we just read together, I think it is important that we understand what's going on in the context of those verses. You see, in the context of John the 15th chapter, we need to understand that we're only a few hours away from the horrific event of the cross. It is actually the night before Jesus' crucifixion. And he's about to make his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, he will be betrayed by Judas. He knows that very soon he is going to die. And he has spent the entire evening comforting and preparing his disciples. He has eaten the Passover with them and instituted the Lord's Supper. He has promised to send them the Holy Spirit and to return one day. He has even washed their feet and given them an example of how to be a servant of God, and commanded them to love one another even as he has loved them. The Lord is preparing his disciples 
for a very troubling and difficult time. In fact, as part of that preparation here in John, the 15th chapter, we find him describing the relationship he has with his people in a very powerful way. He actually talks about something here that ties directly to where we currently are in our monthly series of lessons that are devoted to our theme this year as a congregation. And so going back to those verses that Brother Granville read for us this morning in 2 Peter chapter 1, will you just please turn there very quickly? Keep your finger at John 15. We're going to come back there, but would you mind just, just taking a glance again at 2 Peter chapter 1? I, I want you to notice how in those verses Brother Granville read for us this morning, those verses that tie directly to our theme this year as a congregation, those verses that we've been studying together since January, I want you to notice how Peter says that after we add the spiritual ingredients that he lists in verses 5 through 7 to our faith, after we add or supply to our faith virtue or moral excellence and knowledge of the word of God, and self-control, patience or perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. Peter says that after we add those things to our faith, we can expect, we can expect something to happen to us. He, he says we can expect a change to take place. He says that if we continually increase and grow in all the things he mentions in verses 5 through 7 of that chapter, in verse 8 he says what we can expect to happen to us is we'll become useful and fruitful in the kingdom of God. Do you see that in verse 8? We can become useful and fruitful in the kingdom of God. I submit that what Peter is talking about there in 2 Peter 1 and verse 8 is exactly the same thing that Jesus talks about in John the 15th chapter. And so let's now talk about John 15 the rest of this morning. Going back to John chapter 15, notice how Jesus in that text, like Peter, also talks about disciples becoming useful and fruitful in the kingdom of God. In fact, he actually uses some figures in this text to, to, to describe the relationship he has with his people. And these figures he uses are figures that his disciples would have been very familiar with in the first century world. They are a vine a vine dresser and branches. Question, what do those things represent? Well, what is the vine and the vine dresser and the branches? Well, thankfully, we don't have to guess about that this morning. We don't have to wonder and ponder for very long about that. We don't have to pull out a commentary or even turn to other places in the Bible to try to figure this out because the Lord tells us. The Lord tells us right here in John, the 15th chapter, Jesus says that when it comes to the vine, he says he's the vine. He says he is the true vine. He is the main stem that comes out from the ground and from which everything else grows. He is the source of life for the branches. He is what gives purpose and meaning to the branches as long as they stay attached to him. He is what supplies power and energy to the branches. Jesus says he is the vine and the father. The father is the vine dresser. God, the father, is the chief expert who tends to the vineyard. He is the one who plants and grows and cuts and prunes the grapevines. 
Jesus is the vine. The father is the vine dresser. And you know who we are? We are the branches. Disciples, not local churches, disciples are the branches. We are the ones who are supposed to be connected to the vine. We are the ones who are supposed to grow out, grow out of the vine and we depend on the vine and we're supposed to be bearing fruit for the vine. That's what Jesus says in verse two. And in verse number four and in verse number five and in verse number eight and even down in verse number 16 throughout this chapter, Jesus says that the goal for every single disciple, the goal for every single branch that is attached to him. Should be to bear fruit. It should be to be useful and fruitful while attached to the vine. It should be to offer the produce that the vine dresser expects. Jesus says our goal as disciples every single day should be to bear fruit. The question, though, is why is that so important? Why is it so important that we bear fruit? as disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, let me give you three reasons why that is important. First, it is important that we as branches bear fruit because that's what branches are supposed to do. That's what vine branches are supposed to do. I'm gonna ask the question here and you just give me a quick show of hands. Just give me a, a quick show of hands. Does anybody in here grow flowers in your yard? Anybody here grow flowers? Anybody here flower? We got a few people here. That's thank you so much. So we got some people here who like to grow flowers. Here's my question for those folks. Why do you do that? Why do you grow flowers? Why do you grow roses or daisies or lilies or tulips? Where for most people who do that, the reason why they grow flowers is because they want to enjoy them. They want to enjoy their beauty. They want to enjoy their smell. They want to look at them. They, they want them to help make their yard look nice. That's why most people grow flowers, but brothers and sisters, that is not why people grow grapevines. People don't grow grapevines to enjoy their beauty or to enjoy their smell. Instead, they grow them because they want something. They want a product. They want them to produce grapes. Grapevines are grown because they're supposed to produce grapes. Grapevines, they don't produce grapes, are useless. And they are fruitless. And that same thing is also true when it comes to us. That same thing is also true to us when it comes to being a disciple. You see, branches, as branches attached to the vine who is Jesus Christ, if we don't produce fruit, we are useless. And we are fruitless. We are not doing what branches are supposed to do, and because of that, we can expect to receive something. If we don't bear fruit, we can expect to receive something horrible. Jesus talks about that. Go back to the text. John 15 and verse 2, what does he say? John 15 and verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The vine dresser takes away. Drop down to verse number six. In verse number six, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. What's the Lord saying there? Where there the Lord is saying that branches that don't do what they're supposed to do, which is bear fruit, they can expect something horrible to happen to them. They can expect to be taken away 
and cut off by the vine dresser. They can expect to be lost and receive judgment. They can expect to die and spiritually be, be burned up. You see that there in the text? That's what the Lord says. And I want to suggest that what the Lord says, there's a side note. That completely blows away the doctrine of once saved, always saved, doesn't it? Totally blows it away. If we didn't have any other place to go in the Bible, this would be enough. And many of you know what that doctrine is all about. Once saved, always saved. Once you get saved, usually by faith alone, which is unbiblical. But some, some people say, well, once you get saved, you can't lose your salvation. You can't be cut off from Jesus. You can commit all kinds of sins. It's okay. You're saved. Your ticket to heaven has been punched. You can't change it. Jesus blows that away here. Totally blows it away. According to Jesus, contrary to what those who advocate once saved, always saved doctrine suggests, we can lose our salvation. Our salvation can be taken away. As branches, Jesus says, we can be cut off and removed from the vine. In other words, just because I may be attached to him today, that doesn't mean I can't make the choice to disconnect myself from him tomorrow. That doesn't mean I can't make the choice to be unfruitful and unproductive and experience his judgment. Jesus says if we want to avoid the judgment of the vine dresser, then we better bear some fruit. We got to bear fruit if we're going to avoid God's judgment and we got to bear fruit to provide evidence of discipleship. Do you see that in verse number eight? Look back at verse eight of John 15. Verse eight, what did the Lord say? John 15 and verse eight, Jesus says, my father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. According to Jesus, it's not enough just to go around claiming to be a disciple. It's not enough just to go around telling people, I love Jesus. I serve Jesus. I worship Jesus. I, I'm, I'm loyal to Jesus. Anybody can say those kinds of things, but a true disciple proves that by providing evidence. They provide evidence of fruit. They provide evidence of a harvest. They are branches that demonstrate they are truly connected to the vine by bringing forth the produce that the vine dresser expects. You see, when we don't bear fruit, we don't do what vine branches are supposed to be doing. And we also put ourselves on a path to receive judgment from God the Father, and we don't provide the evidence that God wants us to provide to prove and demonstrate that we're disciples. There are a lot of bad consequences to not bearing fruit for the Lord, and so here's the main question. How do we do it? How do we bear fruit? How do we do what the Lord is talking about here? Well, I'm going to give you several practical things to jot down and take home with you and that you can put into practice starting right now. How do we bear fruit for the Lord? Well, the first way we can bear some fruit is by making sure we abide in the vine. We got to abide in the vine. And didn't you notice Jesus saying that over and over again in this text? He says that at least nine times, at least nine times. And so look back with me again, please, and just notice this. I'll go through it very quickly. John 15 and verse 4, Jesus says, abide in me 
And I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. In verse number five, he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. Verse seven, if you abide in me. And my words abide in you. Verse number nine, just as the father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You see it over and over again. The Lord is repeating himself a lot there. He's saying it over and over again for a reason. He is saying that if we want to bear fruit as disciples, then it starts with abiding in him. We got to stay connected to him and gain strength from him. Branches that don't stay attached to him as the vine, they are useless and fruitless and they dry up, wither and die. Jesus says bearing fruit begins with abiding in him. We can't bear fruit on our own. We can't do it by our own strength, by our own intellect, by our own power. If we're going to bear some fruit that glorifies God, it first starts with getting in Jesus. We have to abide in Jesus Christ. And so how do we do that? Well, one way we do that is by being in a relationship with him. By being baptized into him, as Paul says in Galatians chapter three, by knowing him and remaining in fellowship with him, by listening to him, trusting him, thinking about him all the time and being conscious of how our decisions, our daily decisions impact him. We abide in Jesus by being in a relationship with him. And we also abide in him by abiding in his word. Got to get into the word. And Jesus says that himself in this text, John 15 and verse three, verse three, he told the disciples, the apostles, you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. In verse number seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. You see what Jesus is saying about this book right here? You see it? You see what he is saying about these words that we have access to? In our lives today, we have access to it in paper form, in digital form. You see what Jesus is saying about this book? He is saying that these words, these words are not just words on a page. They are not just book chapters and verses that we are reading this year so we can check off our daily Bible reading schedule. No, Jesus says that the words we have before us, the words that we have in the Bible, help us stay connected to the vine. They help us abide in the vine. That's why here at Monte Vista, we emphasize daily Bible reading. That's why we devote so much of our efforts here to studying the Bible and reading the Bible and preaching the Bible and teaching the Bible. That's why we're going to have a gospel meeting. That's why we have a summer Bible series. That's why we have all this online content with Bible teaching. The reason why we emphasize the Bible so much in this place is because our shepherds know, we know, we all know that we can't expect to abide in the Lord without also abiding his word. We got to abide in the word. And you know what else we can do to abide in Jesus? Pray. You got to have prayer. You got to communicate with him 
every single day, all throughout the day. In fact, in verse 7, I believe in verse 7, Jesus is talking about prayer when he talks about asking. That's prayer. You see, through the Bible, God communicates with us. But it is through prayer we communicate with God. It is through prayer we talk to God. It is through prayer that we pour our hearts out to God and we demonstrate our trust and dependence upon him. We abide in Jesus when we abide in his word. And when we make sure that we're praying to the Lord constantly, but then another way we can abide in the vine is by making sure that we resist anything that threatens our relationship with him. We got to resist anything that could potentially cut us off from the vine and pull us away from the vine. This could include corrupt and ungodly friends. This could include a job that may be requiring us to do some unethical and dishonest things. This could include a wicked person that we're dating or maybe ridding, ridding ourselves of our social media pages because we know that every time we look on social media, all that festers within us is jealousy, envy, and bitterness. And so maybe we got to get rid of that social media stuff because it's putting feelings in us that God doesn't want us to have when we look at how everybody else is living their lives. If we're going to bear fruit, we got to abide in the vine, abide in Jesus. But another thing we got to do is we got to imitate the life of Jesus. Imitate the life of Jesus. And that's really, if you stop and think about it, all those lessons I've been preaching from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, all those lessons I've preached since January, that's really what that's been all about. It's been about imitating Jesus. I mean, think about that list. Think about that list in 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 7. Did not Jesus have every one of those qualities at the highest level? He had virtue, moral excellence. He had perfect knowledge of the will of God, of the word of God. He had self-control, always in control of his emotions, always in control of his passions, always in control of his actions. He persevered. He persevered in the cause of God. He persevered all the way to the cross where he gave his life for us. He had godliness, piety, reverence, respect for the father at the highest level. He knew how to treat his brethren. He knew how to treat his brother with kindness and respect and gentleness, and he had love for everybody. He had agape love for his father. He had it for his brethren. He had it for his neighbor. He even had it for his enemies. Jesus had all that stuff. He had all that stuff found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 at the highest level. And when we constantly grow in those things and add them to our faith, you know what's going to happen to us? We're going to bear the fruit of becoming more like him. We're going to imitate him. We're going to be walking in his footsteps and becoming more the kind of people he wants us to become. That's what happens when we put into practice 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 7. We're going to be more like Jesus. In fact, part of this is tied to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. We're reading, we're reading Galatians right now in our Bible reading. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to be in chapter 5. And you know what's found in chapter 5. You know what Paul talks about there. Paul talks about some fruit in chapter 5. And he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't he? The fruit of the Spirit. 
He talks about the produce that will be evident in our lives when we live by, walk by, and are led by the Spirit's revealed words in the Bible. You see, those who are truly guided by the Spirit's revelation and teaching, they have a certain kind of character. They live a certain kind of way. They display a certain kind of lifestyle and, and they have qualities, part of their character that are different than, than the people of the world. Those fruits of the spirit, that's stuff we can do every day. You don't have to be an elder, a preacher, a deacon to do the fruit, to practice the fruits of the spirit. That should be the produce that should be evident on our jobs, when we're interacting with people in our community, at school, while we're playing sports, we can always produce the fruits of the Spirit. But it doesn't just stop there, because another way in which we can bear some fruit is by engaging in good works. Good works, good deeds. Will you go in your Bible, please, to the book of Titus? I want to show you something in the book of Titus, in Titus chapter 3, and Titus the third chapter. The Apostle Paul is talking to the preacher Titus about what to be preaching to the people of God. And he says in Titus chapter three, verse number one, you remind them the people of God need to be reminded of things from time to time. And he says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready in every good deed. You see that? Drop down to verse eight. In verse eight, he goes on to say, this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently that those who have believed in God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Look at verse 14. In verse 14, Paul says, our people, God's people, disciples, branches attached to Jesus must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not become unfruitful. There it is. The Bible says as Christians, we should be looking constantly for opportunities to engage in good deeds. Good works. That's what we need to be doing. But the question is, what are some of those good works that we can engage in as the people of God? Well, one thing that immediately pops into my mind is works of service. Works of service. Works of serving my family. Works of serving my spouse by being a godly spouse and doing all I can to help my spouse go to heaven. Teaching my children. Teaching my children about God and how to serve God and love God and worship God and being and be reverent towards God. Being there for my brethren, being there for you. Constantly being aware of your needs. And being willing to sacrifice my time and my resources to relieve and accommodate your needs. Visiting and praying with sick and shut in disciples. We have a lot of those around here. Being hospitable. Offering words of encouragement and appreciation to shepherds and deacons and to those who preach and teach the gospel, helping teach a Bible class. Worshiping God every Lord's Day in spirit and in truth, having the courage, as Brother Tom talked about this morning, having the courage and the love to help my brethren when I notice they're weak and they're getting off the right spiritual path, having the love and courage to help get them back on the right path when they're weak and frail in their faith. Doing evangelism. Trying to influence the people in my little circle of life to love Jesus. 
to study the Bible, to become disciples. It's interesting how in Romans chapter 1 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul described people that he converted as fruit. When we do evangelism, we're engaging in a good deed that can produce fruit. And then the most obvious way in which we can all engage in good deeds, it's just by living right. Just live right. Live as a faithful Christian every single day. And that's what Jesus is talking about in John 15 and verse 10 when he talks about abiding in his word, keeping his commandments, talking about applying his word to our lives. And then look, look in your Bible at Colossians chapter 1, please. Look at Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 9. In Colossians chapter 1 and in verse number 9, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, Colossians 1 and verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding that you will walk. That you'll walk. In a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice how it's not enough just to read the Bible. It's not enough just to read the Bible. It's not enough just to study the Bible and, and talk about the Bible and even meditate and ponder on the Bible. No, the Apostle Paul says God wants us to do it. He wants us to do something with this information. He wants us to bear the fruit of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. That language you see there, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, that is Paul's favorite metaphor to use in the Bible to just talk about living right. Living righteously, talking righteously, dressing righteously, being sexually pure, having kingdom first priorities, having a pure heart, treating other people like I want to be treated. These are just four ways, four ways in which we all, I don't care who we are this morning. These are four ways in which we all can bear fruit. But here's my question of application. Are we doing that? Am I doing that? Are you doing that? Are you doing this right now? Are you bearing some fruit? As God the Father evaluates your branch, am I talking about the branch of the person next to you? or the branch of the person behind you, or the person across the room. I'm talking about just your branch, your individual branch. As God evaluates from heaven your individual branch, what does God see right now? What does God see when he looks at your branch? Does he see some fruit on that branch, or does he just see a branch? What does God see? I want to close by suggesting that if we're currently a branch, that are producing some fruit, we can expect some powerful things to happen to us. And one thing that will happen to us if we're bearing fruit is God will prune us. He will prune us. Do you see that in John 15 and verse 2? You go back to John chapter 15 and you look at verse number 2. Don't miss what Jesus says. In John 15 and verse 2, Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. That's a promise. He prunes it. So that it will bear more fruit. Jesus says that branches attached to him that bear fruit, they are pruned by the vine dresser. The question is, how does God do that? How does God prune us as disciples? 
Well, one way he prunes us and makes us able to bear more fruit is a way that we may not like. And you know what that is? That's suffering. We don't like that. But God often prunes his people through suffering, through trials, through problems. I want to show you that in the book of James. Where you go in your Bible to James chapter 1, and James chapter 1, the book of James begins with this. And James chapter 1 and in verse number 2, James says this, James 1 and verse 2, Consider it all, my brethren, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect. That's the idea of mature. Perfect and complete lacking in nothing. See what James is saying there? There James is saying to us that trials, problems, as painful as they might be, they can actually make us better. They can make us better for the Lord. They can be a way that God prunes us and makes us more useful and fruitful. You see, when we experience sufferings and problems and trials, if we keep going and remain faithful to God, we will grow. We will grow. We will develop godly qualities in our lives. We will develop patience and endurance and trust and faith. And we will be equipped to help other branches who start going through the same kind of problems. If we are useful and fruitful, God will prune us so we can be more useful and more fruitful. And you know what else will happen? We'll stay connected to the vine. We'll stay connected to the source of spiritual life. We'll maintain a relationship with him and we'll be able to live our lives confidently every single day, knowing that we have favor with God. When we bear fruit, then we'll stay connected to the vine who is Jesus and will also bring glory to God. You want to glorify God in your life? Bear fruit. Those who bear fruit bring glory to God. And they also prove themselves to be authentic disciples. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 15 and verse 8? You glorify God and prove discipleship by bearing fruit. So many wonderful things will happen to us when we bear fruit, my dear friends. And so going back to Lawrence University one more time, here's what I want you to take away from that. I hope you can see based on this lesson that the kingdom of God is not like that. You see that? It's not like a do-nothing course. It's not intended to be something where we're just content showing up and checking off some boxes. No, we got to do stuff. We got to do stuff. The kingdom of God is about working. And it's about serving. And it's about striving to be a branch attached to the vine that is useful and fruitful. That's what the Lord teaches in John 15. And that's what Peter says will happen to us when we grow in 2 Peter 1 and verse 8. The question is, is that you? Are you a branch attached to the vine that's producing fruit? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, you're not even part of the vine. You're not even part of the vine. You're not attached to the true vine who is Jesus Christ. If that describes you this morning, you can change that in the next five or ten minutes. You can become attached to the vine if you obey the gospel. If you do what the vine has prescribed to become a disciple. Believe in him, repent of your sins, and obey his commandment to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, according to Acts 2 and verse 38. 
That's how you become attached to the vine. And if you are a disciple, you're a branch, but no fruit is on that branch. Maybe you need to rededicate yourself to God today. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need encouragement. Whatever you need to, to, help, to, to help you become fruitful and useful. We'll be more than happy to accommodate that and help you this morning. So if there's anyone here who needs to become a Christian for the first time or you need help becoming a better Christian, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing.